Hey, everybody. It is Richard Harris and Scott Lease with another episode of the Surf and Sales Podcast Season 2. We are about uh, six or seven weeks away from the actual event in November 2021, so we're super pumped about that. Um, and before we introduce our guest, we want to give a quick shout out to our sponsors of Outreach.io, Reggie.ai, Salesforce, Sales Cloud, and of course, Vidyard. All of these tools, all these services are there to help you grow your revenue, improve your engagements, improve your forecasting. Everyone will actually help you do that. And of course, close the revenue. Uh, without any further ado, we have a good friend of mine, someone I've known for, gosh, I guess five, six, seven years now, uh, Chris Beal from Connect and Sell. Um, and so excited to have you on the phone or on the line. We, we haven't talked in a long time, so I'm, I'm eager to hear what's going on in your world. Hey, Richard, Scott, it is exciting to be on with you guys. I've been looking forward to this. So are you still the co-founder, CEO? What is your status these days? We really don't know. Um, I'm, I'm a guy who... I'm a guy who had a conversation with the CEO of Connect and Sell, Sean McLaren, back in 10 years ago. And I joined uh, less than five minutes after talking with them. I didn't actually go to talk about a job, but I was so freaked out and blown away by what they were doing. I just said, hey, I'm working for you now. So no good deed goes unpunished. I'm the CEO nowadays. Nice. Just to give context, I mean, I think a lot of people in the sales ecosystem um, kind of know the name of Connect and Sell, but give people just the quick version of the pains you solve, so they have context for as we have this conversation, they get a sense of, of where your mindset's coming from. Sure. I mean, we do one thing at Connect and Sell, which is we let sales reps talk to a lot more people and we let them do it without any effort. So you push a button, you wait a little bit, you have a conversation with somebody on your list. We update the CRM automatically because we know reps are often, uh, shall we say, a tiny bit dyslexic and aren't the best data admins in the world sometimes. And so that gets done for them and they can just stay in flow and have one conversation after another. So like if I were to look at my team right now at this moment, what is it? 10 o'clock on a Monday morning, uh, my little team of ooh, 10 people who are currently on have had 147 conversations with decision makers so far today and uh, on a Monday morning and they've set nine meetings and they did not have to dial the phone 3,794 times or navigate those phone systems or talk to those gatekeepers or hang up on all that voicemail. So that's what we Could you imagine back in our leap fish days if we'd oh had my God. this? We would have like, yeah. totally been a game changer. But again, we, we, we were working we, on Excel. Uh, yeah, and there was no CRM or, or anything. Right. Yeah, I can't even imagine the, the good damage we could have done back in the day. I, I, I've been dying to ask this question. And I, I look forward to, to your response and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that um, the, the kind of PC or most popular thing people talk about now is this quality over quantity uh, kind of anecdote. <clears throat> and and I, I have seen people write stuff about a tool like Connect and Sell and say, well, this goes against that and the volume play is dead. And, and out of style now. How do you think about that in, in the context of the sales world? And, and, and I think I can guess where you stand, but I'm really curious what you think about that and what your stance is. Sure. I actually don't think it has anything to do with quantity. I think it has to do with time. So uh, Jeb Blunt's offering a course now on time management and sales. And if you'd look at the top of the funnel with regard to getting a phone conversation with somebody, which is the only known means to create trust instantly with the stranger is with the human voice. 
So if you look at, at from a time equation or a time standpoint, it takes about an hour of dialing, navigating fund systems and going to voicemail to finally get to a live decision maker. So connect and sell isn't about increasing the volume, it's about reducing that time. In fact, the number I didn't report to you was from my team today. So, so far today, their average wait time, that's push a button to talk to somebody. So the cycle time for getting a conversation with the decision maker is four minutes and 48 seconds. Getting to a decision maker in four minutes and 48 seconds is not lower quality than busting your butt for an hour to have exactly the same conversation. I actually wrote a blog post on this years ago about, uh, I just made up the story about two chefs who work at a really fancy restaurant in Edinburgh, Scotland. And one of them walks to work and the other takes the train. So the one who walks to work takes an hour to get there. The one who takes the train takes four minutes to get there. Who's the better chef? We don't know, right? It all depends on what goes on in the kitchen. So commuting for a long time to get to the job site, which is the conversation in sales, doesn't actually enhance your quality. It just is commuting for a long time to get to the job site. And so I think people get this, they get it wrong in a funny way. And that is the idea is, hey, if I research the living snot out of you, we'll have a better conversation. Yeah. There's two factors in there that are, that are interesting. One is, the answer is, I research the living snot out of you, I still won't have a conversation. So most <laughs> of the time, I'm not going to have one. So here's our dial to connect ratio today. It is 26.18 to one. So that means that 25.18 times out of 26.18 times, my reps would have done research to no avail because there's no conversation unless somebody thinks there's an- And, and wasted sales. Lord knows how much time doing said research. Can you, right. just out of curiosity. So five minutes of research or even three minutes of research times 26 is more than an hour. I combine that with an hour of dialing and navigating to nowhere. Now I've got two hours per conversation. As a result, I talk to four people a day, which is a little north of the bridge group's average of 2.5 people per day or whatever it is they say reps talk to. So, you know, it's just, it's a funny argument to me. It's like, huh, I'm so ready to talk to you. Oh shoot. I didn't get to talk to anybody. I'm so ready to talk to you. So then there's another factor, which is even funnier actually, which is, the first conversation you have with somebody, just the first one, the cold call, the, the cold conversation, not the cold call, but the cold conversation is a psychological game, not a value game. That is, I can't call you out of the blue and bamboozle you so much or with my value prop that you're going to drop everything and go, gosh, I was waiting for the sales rep to call me and tell me how to do my job. What they're really doing is going this. I got to figure out how to get off this call with my self-image intact. How do I do that? And if you offer them a way to do that, that includes taking a meeting with you, well, voila, you have a meeting and now you can research them. So it's a very subtle shift. But if you want a quality conversation that counts, have it on the calendar. If you want to get it on the calendar with trust, cold call somebody and have a great first conversation with them offering a meeting. And then do the research in between. That is I, I wonder too, though, that the quality over quantity and the research stuff, you know, and I'm curious to this too, you know, because of your tool and what you do, um, that quality I think has more to do with the, the LinkedIn and email stuff, right? Um, you know, and you know, more than the cold call stuff, but I think people create the crutch that the research is there for the cold call. But I'm curious, just because I know you have stuff at, the, at your fingertips, you know, you said it's 26 to one for a conversation. 
can you go back and just quickly look at September? What was it on average? Because people are always asking me this question of, well, how many dials does it take to get a hold of someone kind of a thing? And granted, you know, we're talking about a single finite moment in time, but I am curious if, if you even have that data and if you're, and if you're comfortable sharing it. Sure, I'm, I'm running it right now. So this is just for my team. So I just ran this report. So the dial to connect for September so far for our team, this is the statistics are beefy, right? So 157,829 dials. And those were done for, not by, but for uh, about uh, 19 people. So 157,000 dials. And the dial to connect was 26.45. So almost the same as today. Right. This is from September 1 until today, September 27. So far, um, number of conversations, therefore, was 5,948. And... Um, the team set 388 meetings off of that. So, so, and do you think just that, you know, COVID's the number, right? Our COVID's the big thing. Do you think this is average even back to 2019 pre-COVID? Do you think pre-COVID it was 20 to one versus 26 to one? You know, any, just off the top of your head, you don't need to do a report or anything. Well, I can do a report. Oh, even better. Yeah, I'll do one right now. Just hang on just a second. I'm going to go back pre-COVID um to the same month right because we got to hit the same month to get kind of an equivalent so i'll do september 1 2019 to september 27 2019 we'll just take a little look see here and see what we got kind of a, a walk down memory lane how huh? when you think about what was life like in september of 2019 what were you guys up to huh so um this is the number back then. So in 2019, the number is 21.04, calling the same targets. So that's vice presidents of sales primarily. Same number of dials, roughly speaking. They were a little lighter back then, 139,997 dials for our team. Of course, our customers had during that month that's, probably that's still um, solid. That's still millions. That's a data point. So. Um, yeah, we're plagued with the damn data, guys. <laughs> yeah. So just out of curiosity, um, you know, so what does this tell us, right? Like if the data is getting to be this, you know, so, so interesting, does that mean we need to improve our phone skills or tactics or when, you know, is it product? Is it like, you know, what is this telling you? How do you got, how, maybe the question is, how do you adjust? Well, the, the change wasn't very big. It went from 21 to 24. 25 or something like that. So that's not actually material for most folks. It just means if they're dialing manually, they're not going to talk to enough people to move the, the needle. Right. Kind of, I mean, it's just not enough. It's too much. If it were dialing, that'd be no big deal, but you've got to navigate phone systems. Right. And unless you're perfect and your choice, I want to limit my market to people I have cell phones for that have been validated in the last week. Unless I want to limit my market to that, I've got to call people who's who I want to talk with. And if I have a main number, I got to navigate it. And if they're not right. there, I got to deal with them not being there. If that's talk to a gatekeeper, I got to talk to yeah. a gatekeeper. And What's I got the, to see, uh, uh, update my CRM in most companies, which is frankly ridiculous to update your CRM for a dial manually. It's kind of a, like we would pay somebody a salesperson's wage to go, I called this number and got right. this result. It's like craziness, but we do it. So, so here's what it next, tells us is question. to answer your question, what it tells us, what it tells me, and I have a peculiar, you know, point of view, right, is 
if you want to talk to a lot of people and we let folks do it and we let them do it for free for a day, you know, they can try it. You'll find out something really, really fast, which is your message is not appropriate for setting meetings. Yep. Your message is appropriate for trying to sell the product in one go, which can't happen. So, you know, you're attempting the impossible, so you shouldn't do that. Secondly, you'll find that your reps are inconsistent. They're all over the map. And they think they're improving their performance by expressing their personality through their own choice of words, which is kind of like saying that a surfer who's never really surfed very much is going to shape their own board. I don't think so. Not and be effective. <laughs> what a great analogy. I love that. It's, I, I used this on my own podcast a couple of years ago, and I really, it stuck with me, which is we can teach people to surf, right? It's not easy, but you can get up, you know, unless you have my back, in which case you're crazy to try it. But, you know, you can do that, right? And you're expressing your personality when you're up on the board. But we are crazy to ask them to shape their own surfboard. That goes back, that's 70 years of experience of people learning and refining materials and shapes and approaches and where do the fins go? How does the edge keep that? That's all like... That is the lore of generations. Same thing with the, with the cold call script. We know the psychology of a cold call. We go from fear, the other person is afraid of us because we ambushed them. If we do it right, we go from fear immediately to trust by relieving their fear. Then we go to curiosity, curiosity about what it is that we do that we're claiming and curiosity about taking a meeting. Then we go to commitment to take a meeting. Then we go to action to actually attend the meeting. We can do that consistently, but the chances of a rep discovering that shape, the shape of that board and the materials, so to speak, the script, there's zero. No rep discovers that on their own. We have to actually give them the surfboard for a beginner because <laughs> there's different boards for beginners than for experts. And then we're going to teach them how to get up on the board. And those are the two things that, and then what to do when they're up there, right? After a while, it's like, oh, by the way. You know, they kind of do this in order to get that, right? And then they need to practice a lot. How many reps does it take, repetitions does it take when you're teaching somebody to surf to get them to look like anything other than the biggest dork in the world? <laughs> Years worth. <laughs> I'm, still, exactly. I'm, still, I'm still in the dork stage. So, so what, what we've taken up doing, and this is an embarrassment, frankly, but we've had to do it, is we realize, so we deliver about about 55 million dials a year, right? So that's about 3 million sales conversations. Of those, about 2.5 million are first conversations and then the rest are some sort of a second, third, fourth. I wish that were a different ratio, but it's hard to get people to do follow-ups even if you make it easy. So imagine, you know, we have all that to listen to and to think about and to try because our own team uses it. And then we have customers we're really intimate with. One of my customers uses about 40,000 dials a day. So 40,000 dials a day, that's a lot of data coming in. And we get to, to work with them. And what we've finally decided is, you know, we got to help people talk in a way that works to get a meeting. So we've launched this thing I have a shirt on right here called Flight School, where in four two-hour sessions, we take folks who've never used the phone. Like we have a commercial insurance company. These guys are schmoozers, never use the phone. COVID said, use the phone because you can't schmooze. And they have this year, this team has gone from zero to a 19.9% conversation to meeting conversion rate 
like four times world class. They've set 583 meetings and they are this group inside of this company is at 82% year over year revenue growth for beginning of the year to today. And the rest of the company is at 6%. So we know it can be taught and, and they just stay in school. We just keep them in school and keep teaching them. So, so that's, I, a, I think I what you're for you, Chris. I'm going to interrupt. So, and then we'll change the subject. Um, this many dials, this many phone calls, what's your belief on voicemails? Uh, I, I think if you can talk to people, you shouldn't leave voicemail unless you're running out of time for an event. If you're trying to drive butts and seats for an event, and you're running out of time. Then uh, if you're using connect and sell, you can turn on our voicemail feature and drop voicemails while right. talking to people about 200 an hour. One at a time voicemailing, you don't get that much more out of the special magic you're going to say. Like, hey, Richard, is not very much different from, you know, whatever it is mm -hmm. we're doing, right? We're holding this incredible event next week, and I'm going to get you, you're going to get a free book, and God knows your life is going to change. Okay, maybe. What, um, do you, and just out of curiosity, do you guys incorporate email and LinkedIn? I mean, obviously, you're, you know, you may not need to because you've got the dials and you can make the connection. So why bother in some instances? But as you know, some companies, you know, they have a smaller TAM, right? They may not be able to blow through 4,000 phone numbers every day. And, you know, in two months, they'll be out, right? So do you, how do you guys, how do you, whether it's for you or other companies, how do you see that as part of the, the approach? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, there's kind of two questions in here. I'll address the small TAM one first. Small TAM, big TAM, you're always better off talking to people than not talking to people. That's all there is to it. You're probably going to have to talk to your TAM over three years because 11 twelfths of your TAM is not in market this quarter because they have a solution from somebody else or they do it some other way. And it's about a three-year replacement cycle for almost everything in B2B. So you're going to have to talk to people over three years. So you should size appropriately for talking to everybody over three years. And you know, I think that's pretty straightforward. The, and you don't really blow through dials. You blow through conversations. Dials don't actually do anything. A dial is like a, a wind going through a forest that doesn't even break off a branch. Nothing happens. Conversation, yeah, you know, talk to somebody and I, they, they tell me never to call them again. Well, that changes things a little bit, right? Or get a meeting with them, that changes things a little bit. So that's, um, you know, that's, that's question number two. Rehas question number one, because I'm so old, I just forgot it. I'm right there with you, Scott. Do you remember what question one was? Uh, do you incorporate? Yeah, you're taking notes. Come on, man. Don't. I think the question was incorporating the email and LinkedIn. Oh yeah, yeah. That's. Oh yeah. Sorry, that's that's one of my favorites. So there's only two mathematical possibilities. One is email and social first, and then talk or try to talk. The other is do it in the other order. It turns out we have lots and lots of data that says what we call the talk to approach: talk to send or talk to social, to invite, is about 14 times as high yield. That is, you'll get 14 times more replies from people you just spoke with than people you haven't spoken with. So I'm a huge believer in doing that. And we actually wire ourselves, you know, connect and sell up to outreach and to Salesforce. And but short answer is phone first, Richard. Well, conversation first, yeah. Conversation first, not even just dial. I don't get 
the, in fact, I've asked several people about this. So if a dial results in nothing on the receiving side, nothing happened, right? My phone rang, I paid no attention to it. Why do we consider that a step in a sequence? If we're, if we're customer focused, here's a, here's a non-experience for the customer, nothing happened. So why do we consider that to change our relationship to the customer such that now we should stop trying to call them and we should send them an email? I think the reason is we despair of talking to them. Therefore, we give up. And I think most sequences give up in three or four. You know, they'll go phone, phone, phone. Okay, that must not be the right channel for this person, which is, by the way, if 20 plus phone calls are required on average to get somebody, that's kind of a nonsense thing to say. I tried three times. I walked by the bar three times and she still won't marry me. Well, you've never even sat down at the bar and had a drink with her. What are you talking about? You know, so, you know and, you go 21 times to the bar before you get to even have a drink. You said before that and people are so bad at, at following up or you alluded to that metric not being where you'd like it to be and you're kind of touching on it right now. So, why do you think that that people are so bad at, at following up? Why are people reluctant to make the third, fourth, fifth, sixth call versus just the first? Yeah, I was making a fine distinction. So let me make the fine distinction. Following up, I was referring to you spoke with somebody, they said whatever that indicates to you, you'd like to speak with them again. Maybe they said, I'm busy. Maybe they said, I'm not interested. Maybe they said, I am interested, but not now. That follow-up is a conversation follow-up. I follow up a conversation with a conversation usually about 90 days from now. Because again, 11 twelfths of my market is not in market this quarter. So I better talk to them next quarter, next quarter, next quarter until they're in market or leave them for my competition. Those are my two choices. I kind of like dominating markets. That's why my podcast is called Market Dominance Guys. So I figure you don't just talk to them once, you talk to them until they're ready to buy from you. Persisting, which is the dial went nowhere, the dial went nowhere, the dial went nowhere, the dial went nowhere. I think people don't do it because it's, it's time consuming and it's frustrating. Is it Everybody any more talks about it, rejection? There's no rejection. You're not being rejected. But it's not, it's not any more time consuming than doing some other new activity. Is it? <laughs> but it's frustrating because it leads to voicemail. Try, human beings don't have, as far as I can tell, a great tolerance for a 20 to 1 ratio between action and success. They don't. I mean, most people, if you ask them to go out as a novice golfer and hit golf balls and you give them no instruction at all, very few people will hang in there for, the, for that hundredth ball because they're literally not making any progress, right? I mean, you watch people try to learn to play golf. It's almost as funny as watching me try to get up on a stand-up paddleboard, which I believe, by the way, would defeat all cat videos for humor. So, <laughs> you, you know, it, there are things that are so low yield that they, they fall below our dopamine threshold. Mm. It's like if I were going to, to, a, to a casino, I used to be a professional gambler, right? So I used to go in and play blackjack for a living. And I was, you know, trained, right? Four hours a day of practice for a year, other people's money, so I could be nervous, blah, blah, blah. Imagine you're in the casino and you're playing blackjack and you're looking at somebody over there at a slot machine and they have to pull that handle 20 times before it gives them anything, <laughs> anything. They're not going to stay there, even if the payoff could be huge. 
it's just falls below that dopamine squirt level where it's like, ah, now I'm going to keep going. And that I think is the big deal of what we do at Connect and Sell. We keep the dopamine flowing. You push a button instead of being 20 of something, it's one, one to one to success. I always succeed. I push the button. I always talk to somebody and then it's fast enough. It's three minutes. So I'm good. I can, I can feel good again. I thought, I thought the dopamine rush comes every time you pull the handle, right? Just like every time they deal the cards, you get the dopamine rush until you get that second card and you realize, you know, it's a two. <laughs> I, th I think what actually happens if you pull the handle 20 times and nothing, literally nothing happens like nothing, right? It's just blank. I think most people walk out of the casino, even the, I never understood slot machines anyway, but I think they would. I'm excited to see Scott in a, uh, in a casino in a few weeks because I've never seen him in a casino. I'm, I'm mm. curious if he'll even gamble. So you're trying, you're tr trying to learn my gambling style, huh? Yeah. No, I already know <laughs> yours. So. Yours is to not gamble. That's how Scott gambles. Yeah. I don't like to bet on things that I don't already know I'm going to win. This yeah. is Unless it's crypto. That's yeah. Well, That's how I felt about blackjack. Was that I only played it because I was running a three point one seven percent advantage, and I figured if I could get a hundred thousand dollars on the table every day, I'd make some money. Yeah, well, see, he he figured it out, Richard. He did all the work required. I'm too lazy to do that kind of that kind <laughs> of work. So, what uh, what would what has professional gambling taught you about the craft of being a salesperson? And, and, and it have, do you impart any of that knowledge upon your team? Two, two things, two things. One is it's always a portfolio. It's never an instance, always a portfolio. And the portfolio rolls out over time, just like in gambling. So I only have this hand I get to play, but I can't make this hand a winner. So get over it. Just get over it. Play the odds. Let the portfolio roll out over time. And in sales, that's what we do. Yeah. We talk to a person, we talk to another person, we talk to another person. We uh, you gotta be willing to let one. some you gotta be willing to let some people go, some prospects go, some deals go, right? Yeah, yeah. Get over it. Just yeah. just yeah. just build your portfolio. And this is it is in that sense a numbers game, not because you need to be tough and strong and go for the numbers, it's just a fact of the world. Most people rationally should not talk to you about what you want to talk to them about. So it's okay. Go on to somebody else who should, right? Get over yourself. The other thing as a professional gambler I learned is that your brand is everything. And you have to be super consistent in terms of who you are. So I had to manage a whole town called Las Vegas. And every single person I talked to, I had to be the same person. And that person was a person who was allowed to play in casinos even though I was playing a lot of money. So, you know, 21 year old guy buying him with $20,000 at a table is a bit of an anomaly. So I had to brand that up, so to speak, and then make sure even if I was talking to the waitress at Denny's, I was in that, in that brand and I never wavered. And I think in sales, it's, it's like that too. We got to remember who we're trying to be for this person that we're trying to help. And that's hard emotionally. We like to break down and become a whining brat you know, or whatever. Or just change, change it up periodically because you get, you get bored or you get tired of being this particular character or playing this yeah. particular role, right? Like, I'm going to try this. You know, how many salespeople have you been around who, who have done very, very well and then all of a sudden go in the tank because they just switch things up and change things? And they don't even know it. We call it drift and yeah. we actually coach specifically against drift yeah 
and reps do it. I called one of my reps up, Dan McLean, once, and I was moving from Bay Area to Reno. And I'm driving back and forth and back and forth and back and forth across the mountains for odd reasons, having to do with the fact that we lived in a geodesic dome way back in the woods and couldn't get a moving truck up there. So one time I'm listening on and Connect and Cell, we have this Connect and Cell mobile app where I can listen to people's conversations, right? So I'm driving along and it's like, was that Dan? Not one word he said in that call sounded like what he'd been trained to say. Now he's a full cycle rep, you know, he can do whatever he wants, but not if he wants it to work. He basically went and found an old door and tried to use it as a surfboard. That's effectively what he did. So I called him and I said, Dan, go listen to this call. He said, Chris, I don't drift. I don't ever drift. He called me back five minutes later and said, I don't recognize that guy. Who was that? I said, Dan, that's drift. We all drift. That's why we all need coaching because only the coach can hear our drift and correct it. I have a rep who started saying this. So we teach our reps to open with this. I know I'm an interruption. Can I have 27 seconds to tell you why I called? In exactly that voice, right? With a hammer on the word no. Throw yourself out of the bus right now before they can. And here's what he changed it to. I know I'm a bit of an interruption. Boom, hang up. Yep. Just change the, inton the intonation on the one word is off. And he, he added two words, a bit. He tried to soften yeah. it. So instead of yeah. throwing himself under the bus, he wanted to get close to the bus. And when it went by, jump back and squeal and go, the bus hit me. Well, no, you're throwing yourself under the bus, dude. You're not faking it. The, um, Scott, have you heard anybody um, talk about surfing references more than Chris on our podcast? I think he's following his own branding advice. Like he knows who he's talking to. He's making sure he's present for us, right? This is a masterclass for all future guests. Absolutely. <laughs> so, Chris, let's let's talk about the last two years with COVID and managing remote. And um, you know, obviously, with your tool, it's I assume it's somewhat easier because it's an activity measurement, and the team loves the tool, right? Like, they're I don't think they're sitting there. Nobody's going to go work at Connect and Sell and go. I hate this tool. <laughs> it's not going to fit. Right? <laughs> but what have you what have you learned about coaching the person, managing the person? remotely uh, and maybe you guys have been remote for a while if I you know I can't remember because you guys could hire anybody anywhere based on the tech but what what, did, what have you learned in the last two years about managing remote you know you're right we are we've been remote since 2014 so when I became CEO one of my first acts or second or third was to shut down that San Mateo office and and lease it to somebody else um, didn't make any sense for us all to be together and it was expensive. So that was that. Uh, what, what we learned back then and continue to learn is culture is everything. You can have technology help you, but you got to figure out how to have fun every day in the job, not just around the job. So, and I think the tone of, of meetings that you have when you're all remote, uh, it's the responsibility of management to lighten it up enough that you're you're having a laugh at some point in the meeting. And how I don't do think people that? do that. How any, like, how, you, how do you do that, right? It, you, you may have a little bit more of a muscle to it than a lot of other people listening because you've been doing it for, you know, six or seven years now. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a mindset thing for the boss. It's like, if you have to, I think as a group, you have to tell yourself really seriously this. If we're not having fun, we're not taking this seriously enough. We're treating it as a sprint. It ain't a sprint. So we're gonna have to have fun along the way. 
And how do we have fun along the way? I mean, some people segregate it into happy hours and this, that, and the other thing. But, you know, it's, it's better to do it in the meeting. My fiance does something super, super brilliant. She'll schedule half hour meetings for 25 minutes and hour meetings for 50 minutes, making sure that there's a buffer for people to have a little bit of life. You know, it could include the bathroom or the coffee or petting their dog or going outside. And, you know, five minutes outdoors gives you like two days of refreshment, right? It's just so amazing when we yeah. step out. But I think it's attention to the to ameliorate or mitigate the relentlessness and the loneliness in that order. The relentlessness is the worst because it's easy to go back to back to back to back to back. And these Zoom meetings, you know, go up to, they, they hit right up against the half hour of the hour. And I think that's kind of strange. But if you're, I think if you want to master it, you really have got to try not to be so efficient. You're getting about a 40% efficiency improvement out of people remotely. So use some of that 40% to relax a little bit and say, we don't need 40%. You know, we could do with 20% efficiency improvement. Mm -hmm. So let's spend some of the time, uh, you know, not being so like hyper-focused and intent. And then thirdly, get rid of the damn standing meeting, you know, the regular meetings on the calendar. I outlawed those things on day one when I became CEO. I was like, are you kidding me? We meet as an executive staff once a week and that's it. We don't make everybody else do that. Now, some of the other groups have decided to do some of this, and I watch it like a hawk. Because when you start being invited to, to meetings where you don't really have a place, it's dispiriting. And I watch this, by the way, again, I get to kind of watch another company, big company, really, really big company uh, over there in this other room. And I kind of feel like maybe they have too many of these trainings and, you know, that take into account everything that you ask somebody to do that's on their calendar regularly, that's not their time anymore. So what's it worth to them? And finally, I, and this isn't just remote, but it's really important remote, is be careful of email. Email is incredibly dangerous internally. Emails create opportunities to destroy relationships quickly. And I have a rule at Connect and Sell. I've had it at five companies, maybe six, maybe seven now, which is if you send an email to somebody and you can't justify to me how they need that email to do their job, I'll fire you on the first offense. And I tell people that when I hire them because the, the cultural erosion comes in through politics and parasites. And the politics of email is, is just horrible. All I have to do is, copy one more person to cover my ass or to point a finger. We've all seen it. We all know it's there. And I think if you want to be a hard ass about something, be a hard ass about that. Keep it out of your culture because your culture is more delicate when you're all working from home. I've never heard it stated that way. And so, so strongly before. Um, I think that's super, super interesting. Yeah, that's really, really good. Like this yeah. is nothing but a masterclass. The email email creates opportunity to destroy relationships is like super, super good quote right there. Richard, Chris might be the first person who has ever specifically told me to be less efficient. <laughs> I don't know about that. I think I think you figured out what Chris is saying is that you say I'm only doing this much because I need the rest of my time for myself. So I think I got to stay alive, right? I'm a barefoot endurance runner. That's what I do for fun. 
and that, what tell, I, that, tell, that tells me and Richard so much. <laughs> I'm a barefoot endurance runner for fun. Right. Hey, well, you, you, you got you to be a little bit nutty to do that. And you got to be a little <laughs> bit nutty to be a CEO for 10 plus years of the, of the same company probably as well. So, you know, well, interesting. We, we, I needed to wrap up, but now I've got to ask some questions about this barefoot running and endurance. Like I can't, <laughs> well, we can do another running. episode. Just like, keep going. So how, if you do barefoot running for endurance, how far do you run as practice? And then if you're actually going for something, what do you do? So normally what I do, and I haven't been working on one recently, but everywhere that I move to, I come up with a running project and I have rules about it. So I've got to find my way without GPS or, or a map or any of that kind of stuff. So I just have a goal and then I have to find my way there by running different parts of that route. And so I'll do it from home or I'll do it from wherever. And then eventually, you know, there's the project. Like I ran from, uh, from Reno, from my house in Reno when I lived there to Lake Tahoe. That was the project over Mount Rose, the ski area. So it's about 31 miles and it was, you know, rough trails and all sorts of stuff. So I wore five fingers on, on a big chunk of that run because it made sense. I mean, it was really sharp rocks. <laughs> it was right. nasty. But, and you ran it all at once. I ran that all at once. I got up on a Sunday morning and realized I looked at the calendar and went, holy moly, if I don't do this today, I don't think I have enough weekends available because of some stuff in my personal life before the snow falls. So I went out and found my camelback and stuffed a bunch of bars and some ice water in it and made sure I had a credit card and went over and had a margarita at the Lone Eagle Grill eight hours later. We're going we're gonna to have to have you back because I want to, I mean, there's so much we could unpack around. Yeah. You know, uh, I know, I know, I know, I know Chris doesn't, doesn't surf, but we need to get him to come to Costa Rica to surf and sell. So, so he can just tell stories for a week straight. Yes. I love that. We can listen to Yes. So, oh man, this has been well, completely blew my expectations just sort of knowing you in general, but getting to know you even deeper on some of these things has been, been a true blessing. Thank you so much, Chris. Um, quick, quick shout out to our friends over at Vidyard. Lead, uh, let's, nope, no, they're not doing it anymore. Uh, Vidyard, <laughs> Salesforce, SalesCloud, um, Reggie.ai, and Outreach.io. So, as you are looking for folks to looking for things to help you grow your revenue, take a look at those. There are sponsors. We appreciate it by all means. Take a look at Connect and Sell. If you don't know what it is, um, it is a game changer for sure in terms of getting you. Uh, what you need along with all these other great tools we've been talking about but chris thank you so much man this has been just awesome thank you thank you thanks guys this is really really fun you made my monday is there anything we can do to be helpful to you that's how we like to try to wrap up do you have any questions you want to ask us or is there anything that we can do to help you you know if you uh if you run into somebody who wants more of this craziness uh send them to my podcast market dominance guys i got 100 episodes of lunacy in there that you know, I've had a couple people totally remake their business around it, and they were not the dumbest guys on earth. That's Very awesome. Cool. Happy, Very to cool. do it. Happy to do it. Thanks again, Chris. We appreciate it. All right. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Chris.